Welcome to Mihinte on Air on 100.5 and 790 News Radio WSGW and online WSGW.com. Now, here is your host, Larry Rodarte. Good evening, Mihente. Good evening and happy Sunday to you. Thank you for being with me here today on Mihente on Air. You know, we have had a really special week with the inauguration of President Joe Biden. And I can't tell you how memorable this will be uh, in the scheme of my lifetime because democracy prevailed. And Joe Biden had started out his speech that day on Wednesday saying this was democracy's day. And I'm just filled with history and hope as I hope many of our American citizens are. Because, you know, America was tested two, two to three weeks ago um, with the invasion of the Capitol building, and yet we prevailed. We prevailed as a people, as a nation. We did not let the violence that shook us prevail on January 6th. And I think the resilience of our Constitution and our strength has risen and we the people, us Americans of all different shapes and sizes as well as races, we seek a more perfect union, a more perfect nation. And I remember Joe Biden in his speech, he, he talked about the winner of peril. And, that, and that's what we're living in. You know, with the pandemic going on, and we talk about that every week, and uh, racial tensions as well as the elections. I mean, it, it has been a tough time for everybody. And Joe Biden said that this pandemic, the virus has taken so many lives. We've hit 400,000 deaths. And it's just really a bad time for us. Yet history has history and the world, I should say, has its eyes on us this week. And we, again, I believe will be the beacon of hope. Today, I have two gentlemen on my program that have fought the good fight as long as I have known them. And I invited them here today because there's some really important information. Just like when I invited last week's show, uh, our county clerk, Vanessa Guerra. And I think it's important that our voice is heard loud and clear as Latino Americans now as we start this new day, this dawning of a new day with President Biden and as well as the first woman uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. So I want to uh, welcome to the show today Mr. John Ayala, who is a former uh, executive director of the Boys and Girls Club of Saginaw as well um, as many other titles that John uh, holds in his past as, and as well as now. And I also want to introduce Dan Sosa, who is capacity builder for Samaritus. And so much is going on even with that organization that we need to really center on later in the program. But I want to welcome these gentlemen, John and Dan. Are you there? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us, John. Dan, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Well, thanks for being with me on Mi Gente on Air, because as you know, this program is a program that centers on Hispanic concerns, as well as Hispanic culture and contributions. And I'm so happy that we have this platform 
to voice our opinions and our voices as American citizens. So I, I want to start with you, John Ayala. Tell me what you felt. What did you feel when you watched the inauguration this week? Oh, it, it was amazing. Uh, if I could just paraphrase uh, President Biden, he said that we must embrace unity, that we should reject division and hatred. He said we should be bold, restless, and optimistic, and that our well-being depends not on one or many, but on all of us, and for us to be the good of the world. That embraces all that I hope for, for our country. So right off the bat, he grabbed me. Yeah, yeah, and and I remember I remember some of those lines that you just said, and I also remember when he 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 evoked the memory of Abraham Lincoln when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, where he said that his whole soul, Lincoln wrote, is in this. And Biden said today, or Wednesday, he said his whole soul was in this, and he asked all Americans to join him in this cause. I mean, I mean that is so profound if you think about it. Our whole soul has to be in this in order for us to start in the healing process of America to, to, to and I hate to say this, but because I think we have always been great, but to make America great again. And it's, it's a shame that our 45th president had to leave in disgrace the way he did, and, and he did. And I, I couldn't believe that in his parting gesture of having music, he played, I did it my way. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, it, well, it, but, but that just is typical of, of him. Yeah. America's greatness is not a state of being. It is a state of constant evolution. Yes. If, if we ever think we've achieved greatness and we stop trying to improve, we're not very great. But if, if, our drive is to continue to be better. That is greatness. Yes, and I and I think that as as you as you age and as you uh, gain wisdom, I think that's what we all we all look towards um, as American citizens, and and that uh, civil civil duty as American citizens, because you know these times that have been presented to us in say twenty twenty. You know, these days have involved all of us and it has touched all of us in such a profound way. And um, we, we, we just got to do better. You know, we, we have to do better as a people. And I've said this before on the show. Dan, tell me, what were you thinking when you watched the inauguration? You know, it may sound odd, but what I always found amazing is that Joe Biden is such a good speaker and he's also somebody who has a speech impediment. You know, he has somebody, he's somebody who has overcome stuttering um, in his life. Apparently it was a very bad stuttering problem yeah. he has. So, I mean, to, to be able to speak in front of the whole world, you know, coming from that is a pretty, pretty amazing uh, accomplishment. I had a coworker who had a speech impediment. You know, I have a nephew who has Asperger's. And, you know, people forget that about him. Um, but I think he's just a great, um, a great speaker. Um, he's also somebody who seems, from what I've read, to be very hands-on when it comes to his speeches, and he edits them right up until the, right before he gives it. So he's very hands-on with it, which is also pretty impressive. You know, um, he's got the he's got the staff to write all of his speeches for them, yet he's still involved. So you know that um, when he gives a speech, it's something coming from him. 
Yes, yes, he was. He was definitely you know, part, think, part of it. Yeah, I think Daniel hit it right on right on the mark. You know, we could have people write speeches and people could read them. And and I tell you, uh, you could tell when somebody was reading a speech. But even if it was written for Joe, his fingerprint was all over it. And when he said it, he wasn't reading it. It was pouring out of his heart. Yes. Yes. Especially when he said, you know, my whole soul's in it. He may, he really wanted to put that point across and, you know, evoking Lincoln like that at a, a most uh, important time in our American history as well. And, and I think this uh, was a very important time as well, because although, you know, uh, we've had inaugurations in the past, it was definitely was so different this time around. And, you know, I remember the dawning of a new day, you know, with uh, Obama and all, but, but man, this one was really where the eyes of the world was on us in a more profound way, because as you know, I don't know today if the Europeans or other uh, areas in the world that they look upon America, you know, as that that great country that they may have in the past. Even though we feel that we still are, we know that we have taken some hits in these last four years. So I think that, you know, this was really special, a real uh, inauguration that was different from past inaugurations. And, you know, I really seen this inauguration special because there were so many people of color involved. And I I did attend uh, the inauguration for President Obama in 2009. And I kind of felt a little bit more there of optimism because at that time we we were not going through what we had today. And I remember, if you remember that inauguration, that's when um, Aretha Franklin came out and sang um, with that gray hat on. And I just remember being in the mall by the Washington Monument and I was so far back, yet the, the feeling of the, the people there was the feeling of the country. We were so optimistic. And, and yet today, in this week in time of the inauguration of Joe Biden, you know, there, there was a cry for, for racial justice. You know, something that has uh, been going on for 400 years in our country. And, you know, he actually called out white supremacy and domestic terrorisms and that they will be defeated. I mean, that that was so huge for him to say on the platform that he had here at the inauguration of an American president. What do you think about that, John Ayala? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I think he encapsulated that whole sentiment when he said the idea of who we can be versus the reality. And the reality includes racism and nativism. And yes. those things have been impediments to our greatness. So that, that's how I, thought. I said, my God, there, there were so many one-liners or, or, or expressions that could be summarized one lines that were very profound. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I think that, you know, when we watch his speech, and like Dan said, you know, he's somebody who uh, had a speech impediment. For him to deliver that the way he did, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a great order in his own right. I don't care what anybody says because he has been able to speak the truth. And that truth, again, was something that he called out, that we have to seek truth. And we know uh, his predecessor was not about truth. And, you know, and I'm not I'm not looking here to bash anybody or bash uh, 45 in any way, shape or form. 
But we have to speak that truth. It has to come to the forefront because that's something, you know, as a journalist, I know that journalists took a huge hit, took a huge hit uh, during the four years of uh, Trump's presidency. So we have to seek that truth. And I know, Dan Sosa, I know that you are one and, and your father, Daniel Sosa, uh, the former city councilman who's no longer with us. I mean, you guys speak the truth. Tell me what you were feeling. You know, I've been to D.C., you know, in my life. And, you know, when you're watching history, when you watch the inauguration, but when you're actually there, um, it's hard not to be kind of overwhelmed with the idea that you're in the center of power and in a place where laws are, are created and decisions are made that affect 300 million people in this country. So it seems like we remember it every four years. We realize this is history. This is what the principles are that this country was founded on. And honestly, I think that these inauguration ceremonies, I mean, they might be a lot of ceremony and really kind of glamorous in some ways, and I think that's okay. I think that's a good thing because it is historical. It does remind us um, of the power and of the system that um, happens right there in Washington, D.C. And we are privileged in this country in that we get to witness it. You know, we get to witness how that process of making laws happens. Um, we get to witness the inauguration of the president. It's, it's something, it's really something to behold. Yeah, and you put yeah. it in perspective. Yeah, and and for us in our time in our generation to see the first woman vice president, I mean that was so historic, and you know just kind of gave me chills to see her and know that you know so many of our children of color that they can see her as a shining example of what they can be in their lifetime, and that it's just it's just amazing. And and President. Biden, you know, he said that he was going to be the president for all people, whether you voted for him or whether uh, you were against him or what have you. He was going to be the president of all people. And I think that really speaks volumes to his character. And, um, you know, I, I think that he as president, as well as uh, Vice President Harris, they're going to bring back civility to the White House. Um, Biden is a man that has really gone through a lot in his life, a lot of tragedy. And I think that empathy will be a big part of his administration. And I, I feel that we are at the cusp of something great, even though we know that as they take office in the first hundred days, man, they've got their work cut out for them. How do you feel, John, uh, in regard to what I stated there in regards to bringing civility back to the White House? Oh, my gosh. It's so critical. You could have a lot of discussion about policy differences, and there are valid reasons for positions that people take. But there's no excuse for rudeness, meanness, bullying. You know, there's no excuse for that. It, it contributes nothing positive. So civility is important. Character is important. Policy, policy is a matter of perspective and what's, you know, what is most important to you. So Civility absolutely is important. You know, well, you know, when he was finishing his 
his speech, and he was talking about unity. He was talking about a light and darkness, healing, goodness, hope, love, justice, beacon to the world. Those are all byproducts of civility, not bullying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you hit you hit that one on the, on the nail. And, and I think that's something that we all have to have, you know, we have to really pay attention to as people, as a generation on social media. Because social media, uh, that is where I've seen so, so many uh, Donny Brooks, if you will, amongst family members, amongst friends, uh, the blocking of, of individuals. And, 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 and I'm going to say this here, and, 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 and maybe, uh, maybe one of you can help me with this, but it seemed to me that there was, uh, and I may get in trouble for this, but I want to say, I want to speak my truth. On my Facebook account, during this whole uh, year leading up to the election, I was battling a lot of uh, veterans who were Hispanic that were taking on and taking issue with what I had to say in regard to President Trump. And I, I, I thought, man, I, I need to get to the bottom of this and find out. And I did talk to one individual. We had a discussion, and he said that he, you know, he took he took an oath to the the president of the United States in 1982 when he became a soldier. And you know, I differed with that because I think it was the oath to the Constitution. And I want to know how you guys feel in regard to our Hispanic brethren, who who I feel, you know, we're for Trump for whatever reason. And yet, um, we are at this time where you know Joe Biden is president now. How, how does that make you feel as a Hispanic American, Dan? Go ahead, Daniel. I'll follow up. You know, it's it's tough. Um, I hate to bash somebody for their political beliefs. You know, I know that there's people who disagree with me politically but still have a good heart yes. and help people and open doors for people and, you know, say, excuse me when they bump into you and who are civil to each other. I think sometimes when we talk about civility, um, that's a big difference between um, that and close friendship, you know, because um, I've seen the conversation quite a bit amongst people about on Facebook disagreeing with people and some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't um, judge somebody for their political beliefs or you shouldn't, um, you know, not be friends with somebody because of their political beliefs. You know, and it's tough. You know, I mean, when when you have somebody saying things that are really deeply personal about your entire race of people, it's very hurtful. And I can understand how people get very and I'm guilty of it, too get very passionate and upset about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's understandable. It's totally understandable. Um, and to be honest, if somebody um, had racist beliefs, I couldn't be friends with them. And they may say those beliefs are political, but I, I don't think that is necessarily just political. Um, does that mean I'm ever going to be uncivil with somebody? No. Um, I don't care what your political beliefs are. I'm still going to open a door for you if you're coming in behind me. I'm still going to say, excuse me, and I'm still going to be polite and civil. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, like John was saying, we can get back to a point where 
our disagreements and our um, and our political discourse is about policy and not about mm-hmm. hate, yeah. and not and, about divisive issues. Yeah, you and know, you... I, I I disagree with people all the time, but I can have a civil discussion about economic policy. Well, you know, I I think that um, as Hispanic Americans, we have uh, we've had you know. A lot thrown at us through the years. I remember the 70s and 80s and those times and all. Um, and things seemed to get better for a while, uh, and especially when I, I think that um, Hispan- it was cool to be Hispanics in this country because of the music, you know, that we were getting from, you know, like especially after Selena had died. And um, I think that it's it was difficult uh when Donald Trump started out in 2015 and said, you know, about Hispanics, not Hispanics, but Mexicans, Mexicans they're very right best. Yeah, that that's where that's where I first I personally felt insulted because even though you know later that he was saying he was talking about the immigrants coming over, you know, everybody took it as Mexicans. They they didn't differentiate whether you were an immigrant or you were Mexican American living in this country. Mexicans, when you heard that and you heard the negative connotations that he was saying, it hurt, you know, it hurt. And, and it it really, to me, put us in peril uh, politically. And, um, John, how's your take on all this? I know you have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, not, anyway, um, you know, when, when you think about Mexican-Americans and we're the largest group of Latino groups, I mean, we are all over the map. And we come in all different shades, with all different backgrounds, with all different perspectives. We're not monolith. So that it's not surprising that some people will latch on to a single issue, but don't endeavor to learn the rest of the story. And so their support is on a very limited issue, but it carries across the whole broad spectrum. So, you know, it, it, it's really tough. I, I mean, I have family members that <laughs> I think they want to disown me because they thought I was being too harsh on, on uh, what's been going on the last four years. So I see that. It, it saddens me. I wish it could be more, uh, a person could be more rounded and say, well, this is my issue and I care the most about it and he's supporting it and I don't care about all those other things. Well, guess what? We're just, we're not a country of just one issue. So in the balance, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. And, and in many instances, if they looked at the whole picture, I think they would say, no, it wasn't. But because they're fixated on that one issue that is most important to them and getting it the way they want, they're not ready to listen to the rest. So it gets very difficult. And then, you know, like you said, when it comes down that elevator, they, we don't make a differentiation. I'm reminded of a, of a statement that was made in movie Selena when he says in Mexico, we're not Mexican enough in the U S we're not American enough. He says, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's yes. true for us. Yes, yes, that's that's a great point, you know, and and that's where I talked about, you know, earlier, and I know that Joe Biden called for empathy, you know, we have to have more empathy as a people for humanity, for humanity causes, and, you know, that's where I think I had the biggest problem with those children at the in, at the border, you know, that were taken away from their parents. I just I just couldn't process that 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 was the right thing to do for our country, a country of immigrants, and so. You know, that that's something that we're going to talk a little bit more, Dan. But, you know, I, I really feel that the pendulum has really shifted in our country uh, from March of 2020 because 
you know, we've had to deal with a pendulum, with, I mean a pendulum, with a, a, with a pandemic that is unheard of for our generation. It's been over 100 years since the last one. And I think that took us down a few notches of, you know, of who we are as a people. And, and then we had the racial riots, the reckoning of that in, in the spring and summer. And, and, and that pendulum really shifted, I think, for the good because people were, were more speaking out and, and protesting and, and were uh, more aware. And, and then on January 6th of this year, two weeks ago, you know, the insurgents at the Capitol, uh, the Citadel Democracy. I mean, we have really taken some hits as a people, as Americans, and that pendulum has really shifted. And I really, really has. It it really has. And and I'm feeling so much different than I did, you know, January of 2020. I, I feel like I'm a different American because of all that we have experienced. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, this, these issues. We're going to go on break here quickly. But I want you all to um, really make sure that uh, we are cognizant of, of, of our people in this day and age. And what I'm talking about is Latinos in America. Latinos that are crossing the border. What's happening. This uh, crowd of people that are coming to America now as we speak. And we'll talk about that when we come back from break. Thank you. This is Mihinta on Air on WSGW. Listening to Mi Hinte on Air on WSGW. Thank you for joining me again. Welcome back. Welcome back to Mi Hinte on Air. I'm your host, Larry Rodarte, and we're talking about a historic day, the inauguration of Joe Biden. And part of that is talking about the violence that shook the nation on January 6th, because I was surprised that on his platform, and his speech after being inaugurated, that he brought that up. And it was important to bring that up. He had to speak the truth of what was happening in our country so that we don't forget, we don't ever forget. And um, he said America was tested and we prevailed. And boy, did we ever, you know, democracy prevailed. And that's why what I think he meant by um, this is democracy's day, because had it not prevailed and um, those insurgents... They took, you know, if they had taken over the Capitol the way they had intended, we probably would not have had uh, Joe Biden as the president on January 20th. It probably would have been prolonged later. But I think eventually it would have uh, uh, been democracy's day, as he said. But part of the whole reason why, you know, I was so adamant about seeing Donald Trump not be our president. And I have a, I have a difficult time in saying this because I know I was hit by a lot of people, but, but I chose to make that decision to utilize my platform with mi gente to speak out, um, to speak out and do whatever I could to see that he was not going to be our president this year. And the reason I did that, what hit home for me was the children at the border. 
to see that uh, children were taken away from their parents. I didn't, I didn't care, uh, you know, where they come from. I could care less if they came from Russia or if they came uh, from uh, China. No child should be taken away from its parents, period. And for us to see Latinos that were seeking a better life, their parents uh, felt that they had to come to America to seek asylum, you know, to see those children taken away and put in cages, it just, it just was, it set up red flags big time for me and in my lifetime, and I was going to do whatever I can. And and Dan, you're so um, involved with that now in your new position as a um, capacity builder at Samaritas. Can, can you tell me what is going on with the situation at the border currently with migration and um, the uh, hurricanes that have been taking place that have gotten very little play because of all that's happening with the inauguration? Yeah, absolutely. So just so your listeners know, there's a big difference between uh, immigrants and refugees. Generally, refugees are people who come to the border, at least the ones that we deal with, and who have gone through um, something like human trafficking, trauma, gangs, um, or displacement because of things like hurricanes. Um, So when we talk about refugees, we're talking about what this country recognizes as um, a reason for somebody to come and seek asylum in the United States. So when you talk about refugees that we work with, we're usually talking about people from what we call the Northern Triangle, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. And um, so there's, um, there were a couple of hurricanes, um, and they hit, actually one hit, um, on Election Day, and either one week before or one week after. I can't remember which it is. But two hurricanes within a seven-day period hit mainly in Honduras. So when that sort of um, weather-related incident happens, you're always going to see an influx of migrants from that area, um, I mean, who just um, don't have an opportunity to keep living where they're living. You know, they're, when that sort of thing happens, things like human trafficking, um, the gangs in that area, it gets worse. Um, so... What I do at Samaritas is I work for our refugee youth services, and we have several programs, um, long-term foster care, short-term foster care, and independent living, um, which all are uh, programs that uh, are for refugees. And they're, they're almost all from that area. There are some from other countries. Believe it or not, we've had some youth come all the way from Africa um, through the Mexican border. Wow. Wow, that's that's uh, something I don't think a lot of people have known. And I know that there's a call f- that some of these refugees, migrants, that they're uh, sent to the north, right? Yes, and, and they're, they're, the term that the United States uses is unaccompanied refugee minor. These are kids um, who come to the border by themselves, Um to seek asylum in the United States. Um, and they are refugees. They are escaping, you know, the, the life or dangerous life or lack of life in their country um, to live here in the United States as a child. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine, you know, anybody out there who has kids, if your child 
got to another country, tried to enter at the border. I mean, would you want them to be, you know, welcomed? Um, in a lot of situations, these kids don't have um, family members anymore. Um, and um, in many situations, they're hoping to reunite with a family member in the United States or a sponsor. I actually had the opportunity um, to see the Monday before New Year's, I was able to escort a youth in one of our programs in Grand Rapids. Um, he was from Guat- Guatemala, and he um, was going to be reunited with his sponsor in Houston. So on Monday night, I got a message, and do you want to take a kid to Texas? And by Wednesday morning, I was driving to Grand Rapids and flew him to Houston and back, um, which is an amazing experience. He's an amazing young man. And um, there's a lot of these youth that need the help of people here in America. One of the things that we really need help with, and um, it's my job to raise awareness about, is our need for homes. People willing to take one of their one of these youth into their homes. Mm-hmm. If you're in um, Lansing or Ann Arbor, there uh, is an opportunity for what we call short-term refugee foster care. It's for youth that are younger than 14. And they're only in the home about 30 days, and then they're reunited with a family member or a sponsor, and that's what um, this young man was doing. And then um, we have long-term foster care for youth 14 and older. Um, again, these are our, our kids. They can be the home can be anywhere within two hours of Lansing, and um, you take them into their home. You, you treat them as you would any other child. Um, mentor them. Um, and help them acclimate to American society. Uh, And then the third program that we have, excuse me, is our independent living programs. And we're really just looking for homes, again, within a two-mile radius of Lansing. Um, And we also refer to this as rent-a-room. People to take in refugee youth who are a little bit older, around 17 and older, um, and you're just um, renting a room to them for a nominal fee inside your home, and mentoring them on what it takes, what it's like to live in American society, what it's like to have a landlord, um, public transportation, all those sorts of things that because of their age um, and cultural differences, maybe they don't quite understand yet about American society. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Dan, there's opportunities for all of these programs. So, Dan, you're, you're saying that there are uh, young adults, male and female, correct, that that are coming from the border because of the situation. Um, and there you're looking under your program for foster homes and, and, uh, those that could actually, uh, be in the Saginaw area. Yeah, they could definitely be in the Saginaw area, not for the short term foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they have to go to school. Uh, most people aren't going to drive, you know, the hour and 15 minutes to take somebody to school. Um, every day and back. Um, One of the requirements for for youth um, in our programs is they have to go to school, um, even if they're only with us for 30 days. So, but if you're, if uh, somebody would like was in the Saginaw area, they could be part of the long-term foster care, which is youth about 14 and older. And um, they could also be involved in our independent living rental room program. Um, You know, and there's a desperate need for these things right now. you know, there's a need for people who are going to open up their homes and and uh, help these kids out. Well, I know um, I know yeah. that it's difficult uh, within the foster care system in Saginaw County um, to find homes at times. So, 
are they looking um, to have Hispanic families take these children in, or is it uh, they're looking for anybody who's willing to open up their home? They're looking for anybody who can open up their home. Um, it's great if you speak Spanish, but if not, there's an app called Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my Spanish isn't great, but when I, I took this, um, you know, it's, I think it's actually better than I give it credit for. The only time um, I struggled when it was when uh, we were in the airport in Denver, and I had to explain to the young man that the lines in the airport for food were too long for us to get something to eat before our next flight. <laughs> half the restaurants were closed. So I couldn't remember how to say it or, or a couple of words like uh, uh, short line and long line. I had to look those two words up. But other than that, I was fine. But now most of the kids um, that we work with, um, especially when they first get here, don't speak like much English at all. The kids that I took to um, – that I escorted didn't speak um, really any English. Um but when it comes to youth that are that are um, once they get here, you know, kids are like sponges. They learn English really fast. Yeah. But if a family is Hispanic and they do speak, um, um, you know, Spanish and English, that's that's even better. It'll help them, um, you know, with an acclimation process with learning English as a second language. So I personally, you know, one of my personal goals um, that's also professional is to um, get more Hispanic families involved in these programs. Yeah. You know, if 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 anybody, it's us who should yeah. understand what they're going through and be willing to open up our hearts and our homes if possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got a whole team of people at Samaritas that will help them through the process. You know, for our independent living, you know, we can get you um, certified in a matter uh, or licensed, I should say, in a matter of weeks. You know, there are background checks, there are uh, home inspections. But there's a big need, and we've got people ready to go and ready to help people with that process. Well, you know, we 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 are a nation of immigrants. We all know this. We hear this all the time. And here you are uh, working firsthand with this situation. And, you know, things are going to change, I think, with under the Biden administration. I think um, that's going to be one of the first things that he takes tackles on in the first 100 days. And I think that for us as Latinos in this country— it really hit home. I know it did me, and I told you why. John, how does that affect you with what you saw going on at the border in this past administration? Well, the past administration, the first thing they did was criminalize something that was not a crime. And, yeah. and lauded, we, they flaunted international law. Then we pressure our neighbor, Mexico, not to let them come through. And if they have to stay in Mexico, even though they're applying for entry into the United States. So it, it, it smacked to me of racism and nativism, two of the things that Biden said today keep us from being great. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that I want to point out is that we do uh, tape this show uh, on Wednesdays, and uh, it's aired on Sunday night. Uh, on 8 p.m. on Sundays. And so when we refer to today, we're actually coming off of uh, seeing the inauguration of Joe Biden within the last two hours. And uh, I think that, as John has said, that really stood out, you know, that really stood out. And that and that's part of part of where, you know, I say again, empathy, you know, we have to have empathy for those children and those parents down there because our parents Maybe not our parents, but our grandparents for sure, and our great grandparents. 
they were in Mexico. They came over. They came over because of the Mexican Revolution and the atrocities that were happening then, and they were seeking that better life. And so it wasn't too far. We're not too far removed from from that time period where they were immigrants to this country because they knew they were going to have a better life. And um, the history, the culture that we that they brought over and that we tried to uh, to share this day and age. I mean, it, it hits our souls. It, it, it is the foundation of who we are as a people, I believe, and especially the food. Right, Dan? <laughs> You're the cook. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to say a plug for me, uh, Patitos. <laughs> oh, man. Or Menudo. <laughs> you what? know, it's funny how, how it seems like a lot of people in like Texas don't know what Patitos are. I was no, having a discussion don't. with my cousin in Texas, and I was like, oh, my God, you guys are missing out. Patitos. Uh, are amazing, and I know a guy who makes the best papitos in Saginaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think they might call it something different. I think they might call it chalupas, um, oh, and I think that's something that Taco Bell took on and called them chalupas. When us here in Saginaw, it's definitely a different name, and we call them patitos. But I think that ours are even better because we actually, you know, roll out the masa, and it's not store bought tortillas that are being fried. No, my son lives in Dallas, and he can't find them. <laughs> really? So when he comes home, that's always one of our stops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've always said that whatever event you're going to have or you're trying to advocate for a cause or whatever, if, if you don't include food, you're going to fail. And I think that's part of what I've learned in the 10 years that I've been involved with the Union Civica Mexicana is that our food, it's, it really um, brings us to the table of trying to advocate and trying to do something different to make a difference. And I know that if you're served a hearty bowl of manudo or pasole, you're going to feel a lot better. You know, whether you're uh, coming off of a drinking, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're having a hangover or if you just want to get warm. And I always say that, you know, it's going to warm your heart and soul. So, you know, that, that's why uh, I think I've had you on here, John Ayala, because I know John comes with Leo Romo and Dr. Uh, Jack Nash. They are from the class of 1969. Am I correct? Right. From yes, Saginaw High. No, not Saginaw High, from St. Joe's. Or was it Saginaw St. High? St. Joe's for, for Leo and Saginaw High for Jack and I. Okay, so you kind of, but, but for I'm sure... Sorry, also came to Saginaw High. He goes to both graduation parties. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. So you remember, yeah, John Ayala, you do remember profoundly the the, uh, the racial um, civil rights movement of the 60s. How do you I, see I that um, from, you know, what we experienced this spring and summer with Black Lives Matter? Well, you know what? Here, here is the very important parallel what's the same for both i will always tell my my friends the civil rights movement of of the 60s succeeded because people of good conscience came together i say it that way i didn't say because white people and black people and brown people came together but because people of good conscience came together and when you looked at that group in the 60s and you look at what happened uh for the black lives matter you saw America. You saw all the shades. You saw all the people of good conscience. Yes. So there is a very strong connection between those two movements in that it was America, not my America or your America, but America, pure and simple, all shades, all backgrounds. 
And that's what that's the parallel I saw between them. Wow, nice, nicely said. And I, I, you know, I'm glad I'm glad I threw that out there to ask you that because I, I was young. I remember, I do remember uh, the unrest of the '60s. I remember when Bobby Kennedy was killed and Martin Luther King. So, you know, it's it's those were pivotal moments in our history. And you know, thank God that um, we haven't had that that type of um, violence in regards to our leaders. And I hope that we don't because um, it, that was just terrible. And I hope that we as a people can move on from the uncivility that we have experienced in 2020. And I think that it went across the border. Everybody was guilty. I was guilty for it. Uh, I know. I know that there were people that said, you know, no, it's this way and that's just the way it's got to be. And it just was like Joe Biden said, President Joe Biden now, an uncivil war. And thank God um, it looks like we're going to head on the the right path in the right direction, but we all got to do our part. And Dan, I I think that you um, and what you're doing there with these kids at the border, that's going to probably be heightened in 2021. Uh, with the changes of President Biden and what he's going to do for immigration. And I think it's going to be a positive thing and for the dreamers. But how do you see your job going forward um, in 2021? Well, it's, you know, it's funny because regardless of what the change is when you have a new administration, uh, when it comes to issues of immigration refugee, it means change. Uh, There's always some type of change. So, what that change is going to look like. I think Biden's been pretty clear about what he intends to do. I don't think he's been very secretive about, you know, what he wants to do on immigration. Um, So that clarity is a good thing. Um, But I think, you know, there's always other factors, you know, there's what's going on politically in those countries. uh, What's going on with the weather. Uh, So many different factors affect what happens with immigration and with refugees that I always have to say, well, let's wait and see what happens. But uh, I think for Biden's party, he's been very clear on what his intentions are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, we're going to see changes pretty quick in that first 100 days. I think he he was signing off on 17 different things that were going to reverse policies that Donald Trump had put forth under his presidency just Mm -hmm. uh, today, which is Wednesday. Again, um, it, it's it's going to move quite rapidly, but I think it has to. I think we as a nation have to move forward, and we can't allow um, the injustice to still continue with his administration. And I think that he's going to move um, to also be a country where we are more uh, in tune with the racial division and like I s- talked about earlier about that pendulums shifting, I think as we grow in our country to being more civil towards one another as well as having empathy, and I can't say that enough because, like I say, those social platforms are, are just divisive, I think, sometimes. Not always, but uh, sometimes. I, it's important that um, we all step back and breathe and we say, how can I make this a better America? And I tell you, I can tell you to during this week, during the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I feel as an American, I can breathe better. And that may not be the case for everyone, but I feel 
that we are getting back to normalcy. We're getting back to how things have run in our country in the past, and we've taken hits left and right. But we know what's right, and good people, like John, you said earlier, you know, good people came together uh, to see that this democracy was upheld and that we are going to move away from that uncivil war that Joe Biden talked about. How is it that you, as a Hispanic American today, John Ayala, and, and you, have, you have lived a, a lot of history, how is it that you see today on a bigger picture as we wrap up this show? Look at who presented the, the, the people who sang, the people who read poetry. That, that 14-year-old young lady was amazing. Yes. So how do I feel? I feel, I feel encouraged. I feel optimistic. You know, to paraphrase, you know, the president, you know, uh, we can be bold. And we are restless for improvement. And I'm optimistic that it will happen. And when I looked at all the people on the platform, it looked like America. Too yes. many times I've looked at collections of people, and I'm like, where's everybody else? Boy, isn't, isn't that an understatement in the last four yeah. years? <laughs> Dan, how do you feel about it? I mean, you you, you come from a line, uh, your heritage, your father. He was such an advocate for civil rights. I remember the late Dan Sosa. Uh, he was junior, right? And, and even his father... Right who was so involved with the Union Civica Mexicana. How do you see that as the descendant of the Sosa men? You know, um, when I think of it in terms of Latinos in America, uh, a friend of mine said something pretty, um, hmm, pretty poignant to me the other day. Um, when I see these, this kind of change, when I see political change going on, I'm always drawn back to the idea of what's the Latino agenda, mm -hmm. right? What are we as a people moving towards in terms of goals, in terms of political agenda? And more importantly, are we, tra are we transferring those goals down to the next generation? And what the person said to me, really, it really hit me hard. Because I'm, I'm 45 years old, um, and, I, and I've never heard this said before. He said, is it really, a, is it really, are you really working on a goal or towards a goal if you are not passing it down to the next generation? Because real change um, comes from generational goals, yes. not just the short term, not just what's going on on the news today. Yeah. Um, that's where real change comes from. Well, we have and, to have, we really have to have that awakening. And I'm glad that you brought right. that up and we have that awareness. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with me today. You are voices in the crowd that we need to hear here in the Great Lakes Bay region. So thank you very much. Thank hey, you. And if you could go to Samaritas.org and find out more information on how to be a foster care um, host for a refugee. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Larry Rodarte, here on Mi Gente On Air.